and welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, former headmaster at Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Allison Tuttle, a wife and mother and the director of the Palatine Institute. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on A Court of Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to A Quarter of Three Strands. Uh, this is Ron Young. I am going solo today. Yes, as I record this, um, we're in the midst of Holy Week and uh, my co-host Allison is uh, away to a warmer climate. And uh, so I'm, I'm here by myself. Uh, it's episode three as we continue on the theme of education, which uh, that's what our season is all about. Uh, we're going to talk about cultivating virtue cultivating virtue. By that, I mean that the purpose of education is really about forming minds and hearts over learning subjects. Let me repeat that again. Education, properly understood, I believe, means forming minds and hearts over the subjects that students are learning. This is in particularly uh, a K through 12 model, just to put that out there. I think by the time you get into um, uh, higher education, uh, college graduate uh, studies, it, it's still forming minds and hearts, but you're also really needing to learn um, things for your career, for life, for vocation. And, and you're doing that in K through 12 as well. But the priority, the over, the vast priority ought to be on forming minds and hearts. So let, let's start with just a couple Greek terms, arete and techne, arete and techne. So arete and techne are both Greek terms that relate to skills, knowledge, and excellence, but they have different meanings. Uh, arete refers to excellence or virtue particularly of moral or ethical excellence. It, it can, in fact, it's usually translated excellence or virtue. Um, a very important concept in uh, Greek uh, philosophy and pedagogy. Arete is uh, associated with the pursuit of excellence in one's character, actions, and behavior. It was believed that the attainment of arete was the key goal to human life. Um, and, and that was not just in Greek life. That carried over to uh, many of the Romics, Romans, particularly, uh, I think, of Cicero. Uh, as he, you know, one of the books that we study at Providence Academy in 10th grade is uh, Cicero. Uh, it's, it's entitled On the Good Life, but really it's a collection of some of his um, essays, discussions at Tusculum, and uh, on duties and friendship. And uh, in it, the idea is, is that the, the true goal 
of, um, of human beings is happiness and happiness is obtained through a good life, which meant moral excellence. And, and there's more to it. And in fact, at some point, probably in a year or two, <laughs> I would like to do an actual whole season on, um, uh, Cicero and, uh, how important he was not only to our, uh, to the Western view of things and to our own Republic, but many of his ideals that he speaks of in, um, some of his, uh, works, how that was such an important thing, not only to the, um, church fathers, uh, but to some of the reformers, particularly Calvin and, um, and of course to the founding fathers of the United States of America. And uh, I think it would be it would be a good uh, good time to to spend looking at what Cicero is uh, talking about and why it was such an important thing. In fact, I I think that a lot of um, in the past in public schools, uh, you post school students used to learn Latin. Um, it wasn't just a parochial thing, a, a, just a Christian school thing. It was something that uh, students did as they learned Latin, and and it seemed that part of that was so that they could read Cicero. Uh, and then, uh, of course, not only do kids no longer, uh, learn Latin, they don't even know who Cicero is. In fact, I would, I would bet that most of my audience here today that you guys probably have not known much about Cicero nor read him. And yet he was one of the most quoted pagan philosophers in the early church amongst reformers. And especially next to the Bible, Cicero was the most uh, quoted or um, uh, referred to amongst our founding fathers. He was that important. Uh, and yet part of the decline, part of the progressive agenda, I think, is for us to forget about things like what is what constitutes a good life. And, and uh, because he was such a staunch de- defender of uh, republicanism, um, don't think political party, think of form of government. Uh, we live in a uh, Republic here. Uh, anyway, th- look forward to that season. I, again, it's probably going to be another year or so out, but I, I do have that intent to do a whole uh, season on Cicero. So anyway, uh, what I'm saying is, is that this idea of excellence, um, particularly moral or ethical eth- excellence was a big part of Greek culture and Roman culture. And of course, then, uh, Western civilization. So education from the, the, I mean, I, from the very beginning of the founding of the United States of America until like yesterday really had a lot to do with the forming of the, of the, uh, intellectual and moral virtues of children. And it, it was a huge part of education. And yet today we kind of tack on from time to time value clarification or I, I don't even know what it, what it is. My, my wife who now substitutes in some of the schools around town, she's, she was substituting a class and they're going over the value of kindness, um, kindness, which is a great virtue. It's a, it's a great thing for students to be kind. But one of the things that she recognized was, is that there was no reason for someone to be kind. There's no reason for someone to be kind. The reason that they gave is because being kind was nice, right? Right. So this is, this is, this is the foundation, I guess, of our moral and ethical system 
in a in a public school setting is that um, we should all want to be nice, and so being nice means being kind. Now, I I get that probably for a really young student that's might be sufficient, um, but it really isn't going to be sufficient to ground one's life upon, right? So as a, as Christian educators, we understand that the reason why we would be kind is because God is kind and uh, because he wants us to be kind and we are made in his image. And so part of uh, imaging him and being like him is that we want also to be kind. But also as Christian educators, uh, that imperative, you might say, moral imperative of, of imitating God's kindness is something that we will also uh, fall short of all the time. So our idea of being kind as, a, as Christians in a Christian setting uh, where we're trying to teach arete uh, to students is not only that our, the virtues that we're supposed to display are rooted in creation, rooted in our, our being made of uh, being image bearers of God, and that because God is kind, we ought to be kind too, and that God commands it in his word that we ought to be kind, and that it's going to show that we are also sinners in need of a Savior. Now, so, th- so think about that. Our teaching of moral excellence as Christians, as a classical Christian educator, uh, my goal is so that people, my students, will strive to be virtuous with two things in mind. One, it is that they are going to be imitators of their creator who commands such virtue. And then second, because they are pursuing such virtue and understanding the goodness of those virtues, they will need, they will know their own need for a savior. Okay. So I, uh, let me, let me just, before I get into techne, I'm, I'm going to go down the stream for just a little bit further. One of the accusations we uh, sometimes get in the classical Christian uh, world is that um, as we pursue virtue or we're, tr- we're teaching, I, I guess, a, a, a system in which um, things are work-based, right? That, uh, that you're, you're going to get rewarded if you act particular ways and you'll get punished if you don't. And so it's a kind of moralism. And, and that's that, that although I, I would say that that does occur sometimes, it's not limited. Obviously, it's not limited to classical Christian schools, but to just to schools in general. Uh, the reality is that for the, if we look at the classical understanding of human beings, a Christian understanding of human beings has fallen, that our pursuit of virtue or excellence is good and worthy of that pursuit. But, but really, the, the twofold thing is, is that is that you are going to fail at pursuing those in pursuit of those virtues. Um, and you're going to need a savior who can then continue to encourage you and strengthen you by his Holy spirit to become the virtuous person you ought to be. So parents, please hear me. If you're homeschooling your children. If you're sending them to a, a, a Christian school or what, whatever you do, understand that, that the, the goal of pursuing arete or this moral excellence isn't so that your kid or your child can somehow feel superior or attain some sort of righteousness on their own. 
the idea is, is that they're going to desire that again, that's the forming of the heart. They're going to desire, um, to, to be virtuous. Um, and they're going to experience their own failures in that pursuit. And they're going to trust in our savior, Jesus Christ for forgiveness and also to strengthen that pursuit. Um, so it, it is not a, um, it is not a pursuit of moralism. It's a pursuit of, 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 of God likeness. That sounds again, really crazy, but that is the idea. We have been made in the image of God and we are like him. And that pursuit of excellence is, is towards that. All right. Second techne, I just got to bring this up. But on the other hand, is a, is it is a term that has to do with practical knowledge or skill, usually in the arts or crafts. Okay. So, it's often translated or as art or craft or skill. And uh, it was often associated with the ability to create or produce something such as, you know, a work of art or a, a well-crafted object, you know, like a, a ship or a tool or uh, those types of things. And while both arete and techne are related to the, to the idea of excellence or skill, they have different focuses. Arete is concerned with moral and ethical excellence. And techne is concerned with practical knowledge um, or skill in the arts or crafts. So episode three today, we're primarily talking about arete. Episode four next week, which I presume will have Allison here with me to make it um, more interesting and less boring, <laughs> will be about techne. In other words, uh, a, a, a person, a person's education uh, needs to have uh, both arete and techne, but today we're talking about arete. So arete, so three things, a teaching arete means to form minds to know, okay, form minds to know, uh, but also to think and to reason. These are the intellectual virtues of knowledge, um, understanding and wisdom. Sometimes understanding is known as science. Uh, we, in, in episode, uh, I'm sorry, in ep, uh, season two of, of a uh, quarter, three strands, I did an entire 10 episodes on, uh, virtue, truth and virtue, uh, where it at where I would recommend very strongly to go back and if you haven't and listen to those 10 episodes, because I, I, I talk about, um, the intellectual virtues, I talk about the moral virtues. I talk about the theological virtues and I talk about the transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty. It would be a, a great thing to maybe after you were listening to this episode to go back and, um, you know, check out season two once again, but the, but first again, arete is forming minds to know, to think and reason. That's the, the cultivation of the intellectual virtues. Second, it's forming hearts to desire truth, goodness, and beauty. These are the theological and moral virtues, uh, forming hearts to desire truth, goodness, and beauty. And finally, it's forming souls uh, to act in accordance with the good, that is, establishing habits. Okay, so this is going to sound really weird, but I, I just mentioned forming souls to act. So our, our soul, this, you know, we are, um, according to Scripture, we're, we're body and soul, and we can look at the soul as being tripartite, um, as our mind, our 
meaning our, our rational aspect. We have our heart, which is kind of our spirited aspect. And then we have our, um, our flesh or our appetitive aspect to our soul. But the soul itself is the animating principle of our bodies. So, um, I, I think sometimes we talk about, um, that our bodies contain a soul as if it's our bodies house our soul. Um, I, I think a better understanding is, is that our soul is the, the animator of our bodies and it animates it through those aspects, whether it be our rational aspect or whether it's our spirited aspect, uh, um, you know, this, this will or drive to, to, to do well, to pursue honor, um, or, or perhaps our flesh or our appetitive, uh, parts so or our bodies animated to go after, you know, the, the things of, uh, uh, the less of our, our eyes or, um, you know, the appetites. So the, these three things in education are, are very important. We want to form minds that they might know, think, and reason. Form hearts to desire the true, the good, and the beautiful. And souls to act in accordance with the good. All right. So let, let's, let's, just, let's just talk about a few of these things. Uh, so how do, how do we form minds to know, uh, to think, and to reason? Again, these are the intellectual virtues. Every human being <coughs> has the capacity to know. So by this, I mean, uh, we mean to, to know what a thing is. Okay, so <coughs> so when, um, when uh, a, a student, a young, a, a, a very little young child, uh, is born immediately they can begin to grasp the difference between their mom and their dad. And, um, <clears throat> they know what a, they know what a woman is. They, they know what a man is. Um, everyone does from the very beginning until they get into a particular school setting in which they are taught otherwise. Um, but, but we have the ability to see a thing in its essence and know it. So, uh, think of a, Think of an 18-month-old kid who's, you know, walking around, has very limited vocabulary. <clears throat> you show him a, a, a pen, and you tell him it's a pen. That pen is going to have various accidents to it, right? It's, uh, it's not all pens look the same. Not all pens write the same. Not all pens have the same color ink or the same shape. But that child will, once they pick up a pen, and examine that pen, they will know what penness is. And anytime they see something that's has penness, they can know that it's a pen and they'll call it a pen. And it, and it's, and they'll, they can distinguish it between a pen, a pen from a pencil. And it, it doesn't take long because God has made us in such a way. So part of schooling is to teach the kids, teach students the vocabulary of the knowable world, right? So they're, they could know what a tree is and then they can start distinguishing between different kinds of trees. They could know, uh, the, uh, animals, right? And then you, they can know the differences between animals and, and you start to distinguish them with the language of what, uh, kinds of animals there are. They'll, they can know mammalness and know amphibianness and, things like that. And then within those categories, they can know 
uh, the particular animals and, and what the accidents of each of these things are. And, and, it, and it's a great thing. And they're ki- the kids, they're sponges and they'll absorb these things. So, so here, here, one of my first things that I would say we should do with children, especially at a very young age is to give them lots of opportunities to know by exploring and playing. Okay. Through that, they get to, and then you give them the vocabulary, All right. There's a, there's a great book on teaching called the seven laws of teaching. Um, and, uh, the, the, um, and I can't think of the author's name right off the top of my head, which is crazy. Um, but, uh, anyways, in the seven laws of teaching, it, it, it talks about one of the things that, that you do is, is that you, when you're exploring something and kids are getting to know something, um, don't start with the vocabulary. You don't start off and say, you know, this is a kangaroo. And then you go through all the different parts of a kangaroo. Um, what you do is you, you take a look at the animal you have the, the students kind of um, look at the characteristics of it. They see that it's furry. They, they, they will probably guess that it's a mammal. Uh, they, you know, they'll, you know, it has this pouch and it has this unusual birth, but it does give milk and you, you go on and eventually they want to know what to call it. Right. So you give, you gave, give language to it when they know they need a, a word for it. And this helps this helps a child to learn to know things and then to grasp the, the naming of it. Remember God made us um, by his word, his logos and the whole creation is made by that same logos. And because we're made in his image, we have the ability to name reality. We, we can see the logic of a thing. We can know its essence and give words to it. And that's what they are. Right. That's what Adam did with the naming of the Adam uh, animals. So if we could practice such things with our kids, it's going to help tremendously. It'll be very, very difficult for a student who learns to know things through experience and then given terms for those things to be led astray by nonsense, such as the transgender revolution or the, uh, you know, not knowing what a woman is. That's a, that's ridiculous. Everyone knows what a woman is unless you're taught otherwise. Um, so, I mean, this is, and this is the world we live in and the, and the languages we talked about last time is a very important thing. Second, um, as they get older, um, and you know, when they're really young, they, they can know a lot. You teach them the grammar of things as, as they get older, they'll be capable of understanding more. They'll be able to, to know how to make connections between things. They'll be able to, to reason well. And so you teach them that you teach them the, the principles of, of logic so that they, they, their mind would be ordered and they learn how to think. Now, part of that is, I think one of the best things that a student can do is to write. Okay. To write, to teach them how to write, because what writing will do is help them organize their thoughts. Okay. So what is it that you're trying to, what are you thinking about? What are you trying to prove? You, you teach them how to write a thesis sentence, right? You help hone that, that, uh, you know, make it clear, make it concise. Don't, don't make it so broad, you know, cause you'll, you'll be writing forever. And then, and then you teach them, okay, what, what are the proofs you're going to give? You, and you help them organize that. I mean, one of the greatest things in the world is to teach a student 
you know, by the time they're in seventh grade, how to write a great five paragraph essay, thesis, three, you know, three supporting paragraphs and a conclusion. And if they can hone that and learn how to do that with about any subject in about a, an hour period of time or 45 minute period of time, and that, that student's going to be awesome to be able to think quick, to be able to put things down quickly and write those proofs down in a logic way, logical way and in a fairly short amount of time is going to make that child, uh, oh man, how much they can do if they can get that five paragraph essay, a good one, um, while they're still in middle school uh, or in that logic phase. And then, of course, you want them to be able to communicate these things excellently and persuasively, which is the rhetoric stage. And, and when they're doing that, they're learning, they're, they're actually reflecting a lot about on the, the things that they know and understand. And it, what that does is it cultivates, it cultivates their desire uh, for truth. It, it, it cultivates their, um, their passions, you might say, which, again, is another way of saying desire for the things that are true and then things that are good and things that are beautiful. In other words, as they're doing that, the, the students are going to become wise. They, they learn to know things in the grammar stage. They learn to, to understand things and to think through things in the logic stage and the rhetoric stage as they're reflecting on these, on these things and, and figuring out how to communicate these things eloquently and persuasively. Um, it, it, it changes their desires uh, for, for truth and goodness. And, and so that's part of it, the forming of the hearts of, to desire truth, goodness, and beauty. One is, that, is to expose kids to beauty all the time. That, they, that beauty is going to be um, something that they will love and be drawn towards. And ugliness is going to be something that ah, they, they, they won't like. Right? And, and what we see is, is beauty is where to, truth and goodness really uh, meet. Right. Uh, when, when something is, is, uh, is true and then the, the outgrowth of that, uh, that, that truth is, uh, is something that is good, morally good, uh, ethically good, um, fitting, right. It, it, it's according to its purpose. That's a tove again in Genesis when God says, let, you know, Oh, this is good. This is good. This is very good. It has the idea that things function according to their purpose. And when, when children learn truth, uh, what things are true, and they learn what, uh, what things are, how goodness, and when they see those things working out, it's, be it's beautiful and it's attractive. And, it, and the same is even double if you go backwards. So if a, if a young person is trained in, in appreciating beauty, and then they see why it's beautiful because of the goodness of it. They're going to desire truth because that's, that's where it comes from. This is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I think the, um, the way forward in terms of evangelism in our society is going to be through beauty. Um, our society has been uh, taught over and over and over again that everything we we talk about in terms of truth is just a, a, you know, a, um, a power claim, right? It's, it's not, it's a human convention and, and, you know, it used to be, we talk about knowledge is power. Uh, today they think that, uh, power is, is knowledge of the people in power get to get to say what is true or not. You know, they get to control the dictionary and, 
and all these things. And so it's breeding a ton of cynicism in our culture and uh, anxiety and despair because you just don't know. It's, it's sad. But if, if people are called by God's name, followers of Jesus Christ were to take their faith seriously and live out that truth, right, in a, in a way that's good, it's going to produce a beautiful culture and a beautiful life. And I think that is where it's going to attract, um, a, attract our culture, uh, attract people within it, uh, attract those who are lost and who are anxious. This is Dostoevsky, you know, at the, the Russian Revolution, all these things changing. He makes that statement, beauty will save the world. Um, you know, we just haven't encountered such things that Dostoevsky has encountered until recently. Um, it's, it's get, you know, as things get um, degrade in our society and we can't tell what a boy and a girl is or, you know, we have politicians and, and other people in power who just lie. And, and we know they're lying and they know that we know they're lying and yet they still lie. Um, this is a riff off of, uh, um, I, I don't know. I read it in uh, Rod Dreher's book, uh, live not by lies. Great book, by the way, um, that, that we, our world desperately needs, uh, a lived out truth, uh, and goodness that, that creates just this beautiful culture. And I think that would be a great tool for evangelism. So we need it. We need to train our children in it. We need to be careful what they consume in terms of of um, entertainment or of, of education. And even that term I just used, consume, is horrible. Um, you are what you eat, right? You are what you eat. So make sure that our children are consuming things that are true and things that are good and things that are beautiful. Let, let them be immersed in that and desire it. So you know, when you're setting up how, where you're going to work or to, to, for, to do school, um, you know, the, those little things like the architecture, the, 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 the look in the room, the kind of art that's on the wall, that, that these things are, are not a cluttery mess, but that they are, they're beautiful. And, and it's going to elevate their uh, thinking and their desires. Finally, it's forming souls. It's, it's this, um, you know, how do we act in accordance with the good? And that's by teaching them habits. You know, so one of the things we've done at Providence Academy is like, we, we want to, well, how do we, how do we honor our, our elders, for instance? Well, you know, it, it, it's not enough to, to honor them in our hearts, <laughs> right? There are habits that are formed that show honor, right? The, the soul when it, it, it has the children, um, in it, it, it animates the children's bodies to rise when an older person, when a, an adult walks into a classroom, that is a demonstration of the soul's honoring of the, of the older person, right? So we, we form habits. Like how do you, how do you honor, um, ad, adults? Well, teach the kids to stand when they come in, um, raise your hand when uh, a question is asked. Don't blurt it out until it's called on on you. That that shows respect, and it it's honor to the teacher. You know, um, be be orderly and quiet in the halls, so that um, this is a way in which your your souls are animating your bodies to show uh, love for your neighbor who might still be studying in their room. Right? It's it's a it's a way in which they're they're learning habits that are that are good. Uh, we teach the boys at Providence Academy that they should open the doors for the girls. The girls are supposed to say thank you. 
this is a crazy idea because, uh, you know, if you're in the, if you're down South and you're listening to this, this is like a no brainer, but if you've been to the North, you know, that, that, that's kind of a, a tougher thing. And, and think of Wisconsin, you know, I think so many people are, uh, are, uh, you know, one step removed from being back on the farm and, and, uh, uh, men holding doors open for women is, is not as common. In fact, you know, I'll, I'll do that in the, you know, at a store or a grocery store. And I, I sometimes get uh, looks of shock or, oh, you don't have to. And I'm like, that's not the point. I, I don't have, I'm, I'm honoring, uh, women. I'm, I'm making that as a, a display then for my sons to also do that so that when they are married and you know, two of the three are now that they are learning to honor their wives as the weaker vessel. It, it's, it's, it's what the, our culture should, uh, what's the cultural outflow of such a verse? Well, maybe holding doors open, um, te- te- teaching, uh, honor and respect. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's habit training. So in, in our curriculum, I guess you would say, at a classical Christian school, whether it's um, the the new school in Valor that's coming up here in the the fall in Nina, Wisconsin, or here at uh, Providence Academy, um, or wherever that school may be, um, it, it is the the main goal is the formation of their mind uh, to know, to think, to reason, the the formation of their um, uh, of their hearts that they might desire, uh, truth, good, goodness, and beauty, and the, the forming of, of, of excellent habits that are in accordance with the good. And if we could do those things, those, just those three things, whether you're, again, whether you're homeschooled, whether you're at a classical Christian school or a Christian school, whatever, um, those three things are the most important. Um, because if you have a formed mind, a formed heart, and a soul that that seeks to act in accordance with the good, um, your student is going to be able to do about anything. They're they're going to be able to learn uh, any subject. They're going to be able to um, do anything that they're they're called upon to do, uh, and and in doing so, they're also going to be um, glorifying God. Uh, and, and it's a, and it's, and it's really what, what we all need. It, this is what our country needs. Uh, our culture needs. It's, it's, it's what businesses need as in employees. It's what businesses needs as bosses. <laughs> it's th- this is, this is the key. The key is arete, um, not techne, arete. Now, now, Array te- uh, techne is necessary, which is why we're going to have an episode on it. We'll talk about uh, techne um, in our next episode. Um, but for now, just just think of it in terms of school. It's we we talked about the passing down of a culture of of language, of symbols, and things. But but this is then with the individual students. It is this this idea of forming minds and hearts over subjects. Uh, we must cultivate. Uh, virtue. And uh, again, uh, we will uh, brush on this again in coming episodes, um, but we wanted to get that distinction between arete and techne here early in our season. Again, next week will be um, on techne. 
all right that's all for now and uh can't wait for next week because i'll have allison here and she'll keep us on track so have a great day